0: It is an honor to be with you guys tonight. I've uh, been looking forward to this time since Brother David asked me to speak a couple weeks ago. Um, Love collegiate ministry. This little background on us as Tyler mentioned, we served um, with the International Mission Board for about five years, um, from 2011 to 2015. Um, and I've uh, been back in the States since then. I served on staff at two different churches and got to work with the collegiate ministry of both of those churches. So, um, this is a, a group that's special to our hearts. So, um, we're happy to to be here tonight. I'm going to be um, speaking from the book of 1 John tonight. So, if you want to start turning there, we'll get to that in just a moment. Um, <laughs> We're going to be talking about something that I think all of us struggle with. And sometimes we, we don't like to admit that we struggle with it. Um, and it's the topic of materialism. Um, if you were here on Sunday morning, uh, Pastor Tom had an awesome, awesome message that just really set this up and um, helped solidify what, what God was placing on my heart to share tonight. Um, so I don't know if you guys uh, have three kiddos. Um, maybe you've never heard of VeggieTales, maybe you're a huge VeggieTales fan. Um, I am thankful that VeggieTales is no longer a part of my house because my kids are old enough today to today, um, but no, no dislike uh, if, if you're still a VeggieTales fan. But there's an episode out there called Madam Blueberry. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. And, you know, Madam Blueberry is just so consumed with stuff, right? So everywhere that she goes, she just wants more and more and more stuff. So she brings it home, and she just literally fills her house until it is jam-packed, and there's not any more space in the house, and the house literally explodes because of all this stuff that she has. Um, So hopefully our houses aren't like that, and our houses aren't going to explode because of all of our stuff. But I definitely think that we love our stuff, and we um, sometimes we hide behind it. Um, Just a a few interesting statistics. Over the past 50 years— Um, The average American house has increased in size triple, three times in 50 years. I mean, that's incredible to think about. You know, I mean, that means if you had a a 1,000-square-foot house 50 years ago, today it would be 3,000 square feet. That's a lot. That's a big house. Um, So you would think that with the size of houses that we have, all of our stuff, you know, we've got garages, we've got closets, we've got attics, we've got basements, we've got sheds out back to hold all this stuff, but over 10% of Americans also rent off-site storage, and uh, it's just amazing to see how fast that stuff fills up. When we moved back from South Carolina to Missouri, we were trying to buy a house in Republic, and... Um, There were some issues with the house right before we moved in, so it wasn't ready for us, and uh, so we had to put our stuff in storage, and it was so hard just to find uh, an available storage unit. Uh, We got the last space, it was incredible to think about, but, you know, all these things, they simply don't last. Um, That's what all that has in common, Uh, but they do hold our attention. Our stuff holds our attention, and often uh, our attention is held with that stuff at the expense of not focusing on other people, the people that God has put around us. You know, God calls us to love Him first and to express that through our love for others. When we left in 2011 to go to the mission field, um, obviously we had to sell all of our stuff. We sold our house and our cars and everything, and at that point we only had two kids, and um, so it was me and my wife and two kids, and you get two suitcases a piece. So we had eight suitcases to put our stuff in to go um, overseas, and that. To me, that was liberating, just to get rid of everything and not have anything except eight suitcases of stuff. Um, We've had Carly since then, so this time we get to take ten suitcases with us. Don't plan on any more kids, but uh, ten ten suitcases is enough. Brother David asked me to speak tonight about how how to live missionally. And so you might be um, wondering why I'm talking about materialism if he wanted me to speak on um, how to live missionally. Well, the Lord put this on my heart to share tonight because I see so many people struggle with this topic, and I think they go hand in hand because when we are so consumed with our stuff, it prohibits us from from living, from giving, going, and serving in Jesus' name. Because if we are trapped by our stuff, by all of these things that we have, it's practically impossible for us to live on mission for Him. you know, I think that a lot of times we're guilty of overlooking our primary mission field. And that's those people that we rub shoulders with on a daily basis. Um, I'm really guilty of this myself, so I'm not trying to um, say that, that I am not. Um, you know, God doesn't save us just to be passive spectators. You know, okay, I, I'm a follower of, of Jesus now. Woo, I just get to sit back and just watch everything. That, that is not what he's called us to do. We're not to be spectators. You know, he saves us and then he, he sends us out. So I hope that you, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ tonight, that you view yourself as a sent out one. Um, because God has sent us out into the world to tell other people about Jesus. And so what are we doing with those opportunities You know, Each of us are called to play a part in God's mission to save sinners, Um, and it's those same sinners that we meet on a daily basis. Um, When I left the church in South Carolina and we came back here, I went back to work at Commerce Bank, which is where I worked at before we left for the mission field many years ago. And so this was my first time being back into the secular workforce, and uh, it's really different than being um, on staff at a church. You go, you go back and work at a bank. Um, But I got to noticing something that I continued to hear the same thing on Fridays and on Mondays. And on Fridays, I would hear everybody say, what plans do you have this weekend? And then on Mondays, I would hear everybody say, how was your weekend? And, you know, at at first it was like, oh, no, I don't really have too many big plans this weekend. And and then on Monday, the answer would be, yeah, it was a good weekend. And I got to thinking, you know, what an opportunity that I'm just missing, Um, you know, what are you doing this weekend? Man, I get to go to church. Man, I get to go serve this awesome Lord and Savior. Do um, you want to come with me? You know? I mean, just, just look for those opportunities. And on Monday, when they asked how that weekend was, man, it was incredible. There were, there were three people that got saved this past Sunday who gave their life to Christ. You know, What an opportunity to open up a conversation with people that um, I, I overlooked um, for, for quite a while there. So I would just encourage you guys to think about those, those opportunities like that that you have in your lives as well. But you might be wondering, so how do we get to play a, um, a small part in doing um, what God is doing? You know, and I think it's by living like missionaries who are sent by God. Um, you know, if you are a follower of Christ, you're a missionary, all right? Just be, because your official title at your job may not be missionary, but you are a missionary if you're a follower of Christ, because God wants each and every one of us to go and share his love with everyone around us. So, you know, we are not just going, we are sent. And I hope that that we understand what that means and what that looks like. You know, we don't just go to the gym. We don't just go to class. We don't just go to work or just go home for Christmas or home for summer break. Um, You know, thinking missionally changes our perspective. God, God uh, is putting us in those places. You know, it reminds us that, that he is sovereign. He's the ruler of the world, and he sends us to each of those places. And so he sends all those who belong to him into this world to help usher people from darkness to his kingdom of light. And you know, it doesn't matter what country you live in, what city you live in. We're getting ready to go to Kampala, Uganda um, in a couple months, and we're uh, super excited about that opportunity um, Man, we can be missional living right here in Springfield, Missouri as well. Um, You know, God has strategically placed you in whatever place you're at right now. Maybe that's at the school, in the dorm room, in an apartment complex, at the job that you have. God has put you there. And, you know, he's radically saved you and has called you to be missionaries. And so you might ask, well, why? Why has he done that? And it's because he wants his kingdom to be revealed. That's what he wants. He wants the lost to be saved. I think that's important to understand. You know, there's never been a person that God has created that he has not said, I don't want that one. No, that, that he's created each and every one of us in his image. And he wants it's his desire for every single person to have a relationship with his son. Um, and so we get to pay a big part of that. You know, and to me, that's just exciting. You know, what a mission. I hope that excites you to think about as well. Um, but like I mentioned, we're going to be looking at first John tonight. And at the end of the first century, John is um, he wrote this book of first John to an unidentified group of believers who most likely lived in Asia Minor, which is now modern day Turkey. Just to kind of give you an idea of where where that's at. And most uh, Bible scholars agree that John spent the latter part of his life in Ephesus, um, where he ministered to churches in Asia Minor, so where Turkey is today. And he wrote this book because there was so much false teaching going on, and they got mixed up with the person and the deity of of Christ, of who he was. Um, And so this book is helping them to reaffirm really the core of Christianity, uh, saying that we either exhibit the, the sound doctrine and obedience and love that characterize all Christians, or else we are not true Christians at all. So I don't know, I've never been in here with you guys before, I don't know what it's typically like if it's David speaks and you guys just sit and listen, but I want to try to make it a little interactive, so I'm going to be talking and asking some questions, so feel free to answer. Um, Sometimes I think we just sit there, I think we can't say anything, but uh, maybe David won't invite me to come back, but that's all right. Um, Now what's some of your favorite things to spend money on? Food, Food. yeah, yeah, of course, we got to have it, right? What else? We got food, what'd you say? Books. Books. Clothes, I'm gonna say? Shoes. Shoes, yeah, all right. <laughs> Purses, yeah. Coffee. Coffee, that's right. Yeah. So those are some, some hot topics there for us. That's right. And there's nothing wrong with, with buying some of that stuff, you know? So don't don't take me wrong that I'm saying we can't buy any of that stuff and you're bad if you do. That is not the whole point of this in any way, shape, or form. But as Americans we live we live very well i hope that that you understand that um even if you are poor in america's eyes you are very rich compared to a vast vast majority of the world um we have seen amounts of poverty um it really just takes your breath away and um you know some of the things that that just really strikes me with that is they are so happy they um, literally have nothing at all, but they have a smile on their face, and they're just happy. It's it's incredible. Um, they don't need all of this stuff. You know, when we've got money, doesn't it just feel natural to spend it? If if it was your birthday and you had a card from your grandma in the mail, and there was a check in there because grandma doesn't send cash, um, and then we got to figure out what do we do with a the check these days, right? Uh, so anyways, now you've converted that check into money that you can spend uh, it just feels natural to go and spend that. Um, as I mentioned, we've got three kiddos, and my great, or their great-grandmother, my grandmother, loves to send them birthday cards and Christmas cards, and, uh, and it'll have a check in there. And, you know, it's not, to spend money is not anything that you ever have to teach somebody. Um, this is my youngest daughter, Carly, here, and we didn't have to teach her how to spend money. When she got that from Grandma, she wanted to go to the store. And uh, she, we went to the store, and she wanted to go to Justice. And um, that $20 doesn't go too far at Justice. Um, so she put some things in the cart and then wanted Daddy to pick up the rest of the tab. Um, <laughs> but again, it's just not something that we have to teach people on what to do, on how, what to do with that. When we've got it, we feel like, okay, I need to spend it, and I need to spend all of it. Um, and when we want to save, advertisers are uh, just bombard us. They, they are great, but they're marketing employees with extra hype and to convince us that we need what they have. You know, like those aisles after I go to Walmart or Aldi or whatever, I hate checking out because it's like the very end is what gets me. You know, it's like. Ooh, yeah I could that's just a dollar you know I'll have to take this one and I'll take that and you know then you end up with like five or six things that you didn't need whatsoever you know it's very impulsive um, and they they really capitalize on that and I think we're really um, guilty of seeing man, other, other people have it I need that I need that too they've got it it's just right for me to have it too and we almost get an entitlement issue. And we, we mix up that word need and want. A lot of times we interchange that and um, there's a massive difference between a need and a want. And I'm not going to lecture you guys on that because I know you know what that is. Uh, but just be cognizant that we don't need to um, interchange those words because, you know, when everybody else has it, for whatever reason, it just becomes easier for us to rationalize it and just to drink the Kool-Aid and go along with it. I need that, because, and they have that, um, therefore, I should get it as well. You know, when, when I listed it out there or ask you what are some things we like to buy, food was number one. You know, we have to have food, right? Uh, if we don't have food, we don't go very long. I've got two boys, and it's like every every two hours, it's almost like these hunger pains are going to have to take us to the ER if we don't have some type of food item in their mouth. That um, we have to buy food. But what's interesting is that, Nearly 40% of the food that we buy gets thrown out. not a big number to think about? 40% of the food that I buy gets thrown out, either because I don't eat it fast enough or simply I forget about it or I don't want that. I just want to go get something else, so I just chuck it out, 40%. Um, how many in here pay college tuition right now? Or your parents are or something, your somehow college tuition is getting. So it's a lot, right? It's expensive. It is not cheap to go to school. Um, I am very glad that uh, I have paid off all of my student loans now, so that's a great day. Yeah, that's, a, that's worth clapping for. <laughs> but college, college tuition is expensive. But do you know what we spend more on as Americans each year than college tuition? We, we listed it earlier. Fashion accessories. We spend more on fashion accessories as Americans than we do on college tuition. Uh, That's just kind of mind-boggling to me. And what about TVs? You know, homes homes in America have more TVs in them than people. Think about that. When we bought our house in Republic, um, I was absolutely blown away by that. We walked in this house just to look at it, um, see if we wanted to make an offer on it, and every single room had a TV. And they were like mounted on the walls with these big, big, you know, wall mounts. And I was like, really? Like every single room has to have this. You can't just skip a room. It was like, wow, Okay, these people really like their TVs. You know, God certainly wants us to um, to enjoy life, but he has a a far better way and more satisfying way. You know, God's approach has nothing to do with possessions, has nothing to do with possessions, but it has everything to do with our love. Him, and you know, all of our stuff makes focusing on him a lot more difficult. And I would say that we'd probably all have to agree on that. That sometimes our stuff that we have, we get focused on that, and it causes us to take our eyes off of God. If you were here a couple of weeks ago on a Wednesday night, I shared in the the main sanctuary, and I talked about a um, a Muslim friend named John, and I just want to share another story about John. He um. Started working for me as our day guard, and I didn't know where John lived at this point. Um, you know, I knew that he didn't live extremely close by, but I had no idea exactly where he lived. And he um, had worked for us about a week, and uh, I kind of noticed that he was coming in like maybe thirty minutes late a couple times, and it wasn't a big deal. I wasn't upset by it or anything, but I just kind of began asking him some questions. So, so how far, how long does it take you to get here in the morning? You know, when you leave your house till you get here. And this just blew me away. He walked two and a half hours one way, so five hours of his day he spent walking to get to our house to be our day guard. And I'm just like, man, that that is crazy, you know. I mean, I can't imagine having five hours of my day that I'm not able to be with my family because I'm walking. Um, and so, uh, part of part of my job there was as the logistics coordinator was. Um, taking care of the different properties that we had, and we had a mission house that was about two blocks away from our house that was vacant and no one was living in it. And each each compound has like this really tall wall around it, about probably ten, twelve feet tall. It's concrete, within razor wire on top, and big gates going into everything. And there, there's a house inside, and then there's a separate little house too. And each missionary family is able to decide what they want to do with that little house. And about 99% of them are going to hire a national or allow a national person to live there. And typically then that family works for you as well, either as a day guard or helping um, nanny your children or clean the house or help prepare food and those type of things. And so I was talking to John and I said, John, I have this house that's available that that I would let you live in. It was the small house. And um, I said it would be for about a year because there's a, another missionary family that's coming in a year, and I can't say if they're going to say yes, you can stay or not. But this would allow you to be here for a year. Would you be interested in that? And um, you know that was that was a big decision for him because he, John and his wife have ten kids, and that's that's a lot of kids, uh, according to anybody. Um, and they were they were. All ranges from. He had some that were in their 30s, and then he had some that were like two or three years old, and um, and so they decided. He said, "I, I want to go talk to uh, my, to my wife, about this." And and so he came back a couple of days later, and he said, "Buana, we have decided we want to move to the city." And so they were super excited. Um, this was the first time that they would ever have electricity, the first time that. They would ever have a toilet. First time that they have a shower. The first time that his wife wouldn't have to walk crazy long distances and carry a big pot on top of her head for the water that they were going to use to cook with and bathe with. And uh, this was just a massive deal. And um, he said, "Can you help me move?" I said, "Sure." Um, we had a, a pretty large SUV. It was—they don't have this model here. It was a Ford Everest. Uh, about in between like an explore and an expedition. Um, so pretty roomy, had three rows. And I didn't know how much stuff he was going to have. But when he said, can you help me move? I'm like, sure. Uh, so we drove out to his place. And it was incredible when we got there because the whole village had gotten together. And I mean, it was like a big parade was going on. I mean, they're, they're just walking around and dancing and screaming and shouting. They're so excited because they get to go to the city. And it was so neat to see that it was, there wasn't jealousy. You know, it wasn't like, well, he gets to do that, but I don't get to. It, it wasn't anything with that. They were so excited that one of them got to go live in the city. And so we, um, we parked the car, and I walked over to John's little hut, and I'm just sitting here thinking, I wonder if there's like, what's going to come out of here? I, I don't know. You know, I mean, is there, in my mind, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I've got a bed, I've got a couch, I've got a refrigerator, I've got a washer and dryer, I've got clothes, I've got all these things. What is John going to bring out, and how many of his family is going to be coming with us? And they decided that um, five of them were going to come to the city, and the other five are going to stay there in the village, um, because they didn't want to take them out of the school that they were in, and so the older children are going to raise the younger children, and then the mom and dad are going to go home on the weekends. Um, and so they... <laughs> get their stuff together, and it was about the size of a small trash bag that held all of their stuff. Um, it wasn't in a trash bag. It was in a piece of cloth that they had wrapped up, and it was just like, wow, that, that's that's what they're taking. Uh, so we got them set up, and they, they were so excited uh, just to, to be able to go and have, have that opportunity. Our house helper that lived on our property— um, Kind of flip side of that story, they they loved possessions and they loved things. Um, the her husband, um, his name was Samuel. Samuel and Effie, Effie worked for us in our house. She was Carly's nanny, and um, she cooked most wonderful meals. Best fried chicken I've ever put in my mouth. It was incredible. Uh, there was this lady, American lady, that taught her how to cook, and she should have went and worked in a motel. As a cook, and we, we encouraged her to do that because she could have made so much money doing that, but she didn't want to. And so Samuel and Effie lived on our property with us, and um, Samuel was my assistant at the mission there. And um, he had been there for many, many years before we got there. And so all these American mission teams would come over, and they would stay at the guest house, and they would bring all this extra stuff, and at the end, they'd be like, Oh, I don't want to take this back with me. Here, Samuel, you and your family take this. So they had tons of stuff. Um, sometimes they would be walking around like wearing some of the coolest clothes. And it's like, I, I can't even get that here. How did you get that? You know, it's, it's funny. Um, but one of the missionaries, they had a, um, a washer and dryer that, that broke, stopped working. And so they asked Samuel, do you, do you want this? Oh, yes, yes, I want that. And so something to keep in mind, when you take, when you put a washer and dryer on a crate, from here, and you ship it overseas, when that breaks, it's done. There's no fixing it. There's no repairing it, because there's no way that you can buy parts where you're at. And um, so when it's done, it's done. And so this this washer and dryer was was finished. And so, but Samuel and Ephesus, they took that washer and dryer, and they put it in their living room. Just right up against the wall. And I mean, it was like their prized possession. And they would have... Nationals come over, look, look, we we have a washer and dryer, and it doesn't work. <laughs> they wouldn't explain that, but they couldn't wash their clothes in or anything. She's still out there scrubbing my hand, um, washing their clothes, but they wanted that image to be portrayed off as, I've got something very nice, um, even though it didn't work. So sometimes our, our possessions consume us in, in really bad ways. So I want to read in... Um, First John, chapter two, verses 12 through 14. It says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Is there anything that kind of pops to your mind that you can think of that has helped you know God better now than when you first chose to be a follower of Tribes. I'm like, okay. (laughs) Please elaborate (laughs) now. Yeah, no, that's very true. Trials. Yeah. 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 What else? Yeah. What about other people? Have you had someone walk alongside you, disciple you, encourage you? Uh, Maybe it's a pastor, maybe it's a close friend. You know, John is writing here to three, three groups that we see listed there, little children, fathers, and young men. Um, some think this referred to younger Christians and more mature Christians. Um, others think that John was addressing the church as a whole because of these statements could be applied to anybody. Um, but these young men that are listed here, regardless of, of the group that they represent, you know, they understood that believers are in a struggle against the spiritual forces opposed to God. And, you know, we read about that in the book of Ephesians. And I really love the book of Ephesians here where we get to look at the armor of God. If I can get to Ephesians, here we go. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. It's talking about this, and he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So they understood that. And with the spiritual weapons that he then goes on to describe in verses 13 through 18, they had conquered the evil one. And for a while, I was in the habit of reading this passage, um, 12 through 18, every day. And I got away from it. I need to get back to it. I would encourage you guys to read that spiritual armor, and pray, ask God to help you put that on every single day. You know, I think sometimes we can get guilty of just maybe wanting to put one piece on. Oh, I'll take the breastplate today. Oh, today I'll take the sword. Tomorrow I'll take the helmet. No, we need all of it. We need all of it every single day. In uh, 13, it says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. So we see the young men that he is um, pointing out here. And then the children, they were living out what they had been taught to live and to know by the Father. You know, Jesus described God as our Heavenly Father um, who made possible an intimate relationship with sinful people. I don't know about you, but I love that picture, that I have a Heavenly Father that wants to have an intimate relationship with me. A lot of most other religions don't have anything like that. Um, We have a a personable God that wants to have a relationship with us. And that's that's incredible to me. when we receive salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, we go from being enemies of God to being his adopted children and heirs. And I, I just love that picture. You know, I once was an enemy of God. But now because of Jesus Christ and what he has done for me on the cross, I've now been adopted and grafted into the family. And that's just incredible for me to, to think about. So that last group that he's talking about is the fathers. And um, they had come to know, it says, the one from the beginning. Now, God and Jesus um, are eternal, yes. But this one that that passage is talking about most likely is referring to the son of God at this point, um, you know, John had previously emphasized Jesus' existence in the beginning in this letter, in 1 John chapter 1, and then John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. Um, so I don't know where you guys are at in your walk with the Lord tonight. Uh, maybe there's some in here that have never heard the name of Jesus. I don't know. Maybe it's your first time. Maybe there's some in here that are recent, um, recent believers, and maybe some in here that have been believers for quite some time. But you might feel like a child in the faith, um, or you may be spiritually mature. But regardless of where you are in your walk with God, you still have more progress to make. I still have more progress to make. Brother David still has more progress to make. Brother Eddie still has more progress to make. If Billy Graham was still alive, he would still have more progress to make. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul here um, he states there that, you know, obviously we would consider him one of um, the fathers in the faith. But yet he said that his goal was to know the Lord more. Uh, and I love that. Uh, these next verses we're going to look at are, are 15 through 17. And we get to see how loving the things of the world is opposite of loving God. And he says there in 15, he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions, is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Um, you know, that's the kind of this navigation thing where we got this tension in our lives to try to figure out. How do I enjoy my possessions that God has blessed me with without being consumed by them? And I think that's um, um, a a tight rope that we have to learn to delicately walk on. Um, You know, we are to love people as Jesus does, but um, we are not to love evil and sinful things that surround us. Uh, You know, worldliness is anything that excludes God. There's three different things that he's talking about here and the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes and the pride in one's possessions. Um, you know, the world always draws us to seek fulfillment apart from the father. And that's what the world is, is always going to try to do. So when he's talking about the lust of the flesh here, it's so much um, broader than just sexual sin um, by the lust of the flesh. You know, God gave us, yes, the desire for sex, um, but it is wrong to fulfill that desire outside of God's instructions for marriage. You know, lust of the flesh deals with our physical appetites, but the lust of the eyes that he talks about next there is about our mental appetites. You know, we, we are guilty of this when we gratify our eyes and mind in ways that do not honor God. You know, Brother Russ spoke on Sunday night, um, from Second Samuel chapter 11. Um, and that's the story with David and Bathsheba. And you know, how that passage begins is, it happened. <laughs> it happened. And that, that's what he did. He allowed his eyes. You know, his sin was not in seeing Bathsheba. His sin was keeping his eyes on an alluring image after it came before him, the lust of the eyes. And the last thing that he's talking about there is pride in one's possessions. And, you know, that's anything causing us to focus attention on ourselves rather than on Christ. So when you take those three things together, lust of the eyes, um, uh, lust of the flesh, and pride in one's possessions, those comprise a very materialistic focus. And they they are not from the Father, the Bible tells us there, but they are from the world. The last little set of scripture here is in chapter 3 of 1 John 16 through 18. It says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and see his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You know, we have to consider how much we spend on ourselves compared with how much we've given toward the needs of others and to the cause of Christ. Um, If you don't take anything away from tonight, I hope you take this away that we need to limit our consumption and increase our compassion limit our consumption and increase our compassion you know what does love look like i think that's a great question for us to ponder you know there's no greater example than jesus christ he gave up the glories of his throne in heaven to live among dirty rotten sinners like you instead of being consumed with materialism we can sacrifice our possessions for others sake you know jesus gave us his greatest possession and we are called to follow his example um just going back to love there you know it's not just a a matter of words um it's our actions that communicate love um i've been married to this beautiful lady for 17 years come august and um if all i just said was I love you, I love you, I love you. Hey, babe, I love you, I love you, I love you. But I never did anything to show her that I loved her. That would mean nothing to her. Those are just empty words. It is our actions that show that I love her. She still likes to hear it, though, as well. They go hand in hand. But but we experience far greater joy when, when we love God completely. When his love consumes us, that is what should consume us, not our, not the materialism, but his love. We become a conduit to pass on his love to others. You know, we've got Crossway Cares getting ready to come up in um, a few weeks. I think the end of February, each group is supposed to have designated the project that they want to do. Are you guys assuming you're taking part in Crossway Cares? has it been announced. Well, okay, gotcha. So... Sorry to spill the beans, be doing something a little later, we'll let David talk about that. (laughs) But you're going to be picking a a project to do in the community um, that is going to display the love of Christ. And not only are you going to be able to actually do something, but you'll be able to actually share Christ with um, the people there as well. So a a great time. You know, materialism is all around us. our society thrives on the latest and greatest. You know, when, when a new iPhone comes out, what do people think they have to have? The new iPhone. When the old iPhone's probably working just fine. Um, but we thrive on the latest and greatest. And, and nothing is inherently wrong with, with having things. Again, I don't want you to take that away. But those things hold us back from loving the Lord and sharing his love with others. So I want to show. A little video here that I think um, kind of helps wrap this up really well. It's about four minutes long. So.
1: And I want to ask you a question today. Do you love the church? Do you love the church? Or is the church merely a convenience in your life? Do do, do you love the church? Or or do you just merely need a pick-me-up once a week? Do you love the church? Or is the church a nice place for you to be when it's convenient. Do you love the church? Or is the church actually a burden for you? Do you love the church? Or are you just ticking a box so that when you stand before God, he will know that you were here? Do you love the church? Or do you merely endure all of these people around you so that you can get what you need out of the service? Do you love the church? Or does this just happen to be the place that does things the way that you like things done so that after you've finished all of your shopping, you've decided to land here for a while. That is, until you get upset. Or find a better deal. Do you love the church? Do you see her as the blood-bought bride of Jesus Christ? Or are we merely here to fit into your agenda? the church, what is it about the church that you love? We live in consumeristic times where we look at the church like consumers, trying to find some place that has the right mix of You know, they they, they read from the right version of the Bible and they sing the right kind of songs and they dress the right way and they talk the right way and they have the same opinion of this and of that and of the other. And as consumers, we sit down and we sit in judgment and we look around and decide if we're going to buy or not. And then when we decide we're going to buy after shopping for a while, we sit back and we check to make sure that everything is going to stay just the way we want it to stay and then we get up and we leave there's another place that didn't stand up under my scrutiny and meet my expectations that's not Our life together, to give our lives to one another.
0: here tonight and um, God has spoken to you in in some way. Maybe uh, for the first time you've seen yourself as a sinner um, in need of a Savior. Maybe you're here tonight and need some encouragement, somebody to pray for you. Um, We'd love to have that opportunity.